Welcome to the Longleaf Podcast. This is episode 13, and I'm Andrew Dunn, founder and publisher of Longleaf Politics. We're talking today with Catherine Whiteford. She's the National Committee Woman of the North Carolina Federation of Young Republicans, on staff with the State Republican Party, and a candidate for North Carolina House in District 34 in Wake County. We've got plenty to talk about, but we focus in on her vision for higher education spending and reducing tuition costs, what the Republican Party could look like in the future, and what she's learning on the campaign trail. Before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Indivious. Indivious is all about getting outside your filter bubble and having conversations with people who think differently on political issues than you do. Indivious is an app born right here in North Carolina, available now on the App Store. Indivious is I-N-D-I-V-I-U-S. And thank you so much for sponsoring today's episode. Now, on to the interview. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arms will close the doors. Members and we'll go to their seats. Catherine Whiteford, thank you so much for joining me on the Longleaf Podcast. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. So you're wearing a lot of different hats right now in North Carolina politics. How did you get started in political activism to begin with? Well, so I'm originally from Texas. I was born and raised in Houston. And um, I originally got involved in the 2016 elections with the presidential election. And um, my dad has always been extremely involved in politics, at least as far as like paying attention to what's going on. And he's like a diehard Rush Limbaugh Republican. So that's kind of my background. But um, he's a pastor as well. And so He's been kind of the person that got me involved in politics in the first place, and uh, he encouraged me to get involved. And he asked, said to me that instead of going to a dinner party, he was like, hey, you should go to your precinct meeting. And so I decided to go to my precinct meeting. And uh, something that has been something that he and I had talked about a lot was higher education reform and how the rising cost of tuition are just getting so crazy that a lot of these people that I know that I'm friends with, they don't know what to do now because they have like $30,000 of debt. I'm probably one of the most debt averse people that you'll ever meet for me. And I still don't have any debt, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And I want to try to keep it that way. It's one of those things where it has always scared me to even go to college because of the amount of student loan debt that a lot of people will accrue. So at my precinct meeting, I brought up a resolution to cap tuition, basically a maximum overall cap on tuition for public universities and colleges since they accept financial aid, and basically trying to promote different universities and colleges to actually economize on what they do and don't need as far as administrative staff and things that don't actually have anything to do with the actual Um, quality of the education. There has been a 70% increase in administrative staff over the past 35 years, which is pretty crazy. And a lot of these positions don't have anything to do with actual teaching. So it's kind of crazy when you think about the fact that the amount of technology that has um, come forth over the past 35 years, and yet we have 70% more administrative staff that a lot of times make way more than the professors do. And if you look at a lot of these national statistics, these professors aren't being paid any significant amount more than they did before in any sort of major way comparatively. So where's that money going? Why are the tuition costs um, going up? The uh, cost of tuition has quadrupled 
And that's even when you adjust it for inflation. Also, the amount of student debt has skyrocketed more than tenfold. The amount of student debt was $11.1 billion in 1960, but now it's $1.6 trillion today. And it continues to rise every second. It's a long explanation to your question, but that's something that where I felt like a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people complain about student loans and higher education costs being as much as they are. And nobody actually trying to actively do anything to change it. So I wanted to try to do something and as cliche as it is to make a world, the world a better place. Um, And so that was what I wanted to try to do. And from there, I actually talked to my state house representative at the time in Texas. And uh, she put forth um, some legislation in that upcoming legislative session when she won. Basically what she um, brought forward in Texas was what we have already here, um, which is um, capping upon entry for a four-year degree, which is definitely a great thing and a great step in the right direction. But I, I think that there's always stuff that we can do to improve, whether it be placing a maximum overall cap and going a step further, or maybe implementing zero-based budgeting. So that way we can actually only be spending the amount that we need in every single year instead of trying to max it out every single year based upon the last year's budget. So there's definitely other things that we can look at too. But I think that Republicans, whether it be media bias or it's the fact that a lot of Republicans aren't really talking about this issue, the only people that you actually think about when you talk about higher education and wanting to change that in the U.S. is Bernie Sanders. And um, you don't really hear about any of the Republicans talking about it. So that's interesting. I think you're exactly right that the only person talking about college tuition costs is Bernie Sanders. And, you know, his free tuition for all is a big reason why you're seeing so many young people today moving towards that democratic socialism. Uh, I've been really interested to follow, I believe it's called the NC Promise program here, where at, at three schools tuition was dropped to a thousand dollars yeah and i mean i've heard a lot of great things i think it's actually even five hundred dollars a semester and that's definitely awesome i feel like there needs to be one of those colleges in raleigh because a lot of people over here could definitely benefit from that um but i think that's definitely a great step that's great well i i've loved hearing your passion on higher education is that you know it's not something you hear about a lot, especially in general assembly races. And it's also really cool to hear stories of one particular issue kind of motivating somebody to get involved in politics. I wanted to go a little bit broader here for a second. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, roles that you have right now is National Committee Woman of the North Carolina Federation of Young Republicans. Now, the, um, the National Republican Party has kind of gotten a stereotype of being made up of old white men. Are, are young Republicans today breaking those stereotypes? And you know, what's it like to be a young Republican today in this era? I definitely think there's different types of people coming up in the conservative movement. Um, one of my friends who's the Utah National Committee woman for the young Republicans, she's Mormon, Hispanic, and a woman, and she considers herself a feminist, but also a Republican. So she's kind of a unicorn as she self-describes herself, which is very true. Um, But I think that, you know, having people like her and having gay conservatives, having black conservatives, those types of things are great for breaking down those types of barriers and stereotypes. What's it going to take to recruit more people like that to make the case for conservatism to different groups of people? Part of the problem is hesitancy against gay marriage for a lot of the older generation. That 
definitely contributes to people not wanting to be a part of the Republican Party. It's one of those things where the support of gay marriage has increased exponentially. Even if you disagree with gay marriage, it's something that we need to be able to look at and come to what we can actually agree on and then go from there. Sort of that 80-20 type of thing as far as like if you agree 80%, then you can work on those 80% of things together and focus on those to um, go forward as a society. But um, there's a lot of different statistics. 81% of people 18 to 29 support gay marriage, while 58% of all adults support LGBT marriage rights. I think that we are isolating a lot, a humongous demographic of people when our party platform is talking about one man and one woman, when a a large swath of people disagree with that. And it's exclusionary to a lot of um, gay conservatives and whom I'm friends with a lot of. I think that a lot of the younger demographic is definitely more libertarian leaning. And so they either want the government to get outside of marriage or for gay marriage to be legalized and that type of thing. And you don't even have to necessarily be for gay marriage. (laughs) It's kind of weird, like for me, because I'm more, I came from a very socially conservative background. For me, I used to be more that way. I used to be against gay marriage, but coming at it from not a religious perspective, I had to realize that, you know, Republicans say that we're for limited government, but yet we, as soon as we disagree with something, are trying to impose government and trying to ban marriage against people that we disagree with simply because that's something that we personally disagree with. And I think that that's an issue. And a lot of us need to realize the logical inconsistency in that. I had to start thinking about it in that way and realize that simply because I disagree doesn't mean that somebody else can't do that because we have religious liberty and we have freedom of speech. A lot of people came here because they were persecuted by other religions. It's one of those things where, you know, we're isolating these gay conservatives. And I think that there's so much that we can do to just be more loving, more kind, and you don't even have to agree. <laughs> just be yeah. able to work together. The Republican Party, you know, younger Republicans tend to be moving back more towards the intellectual and philosophical underpinnings of the Republican Party, you know, away from kind of social issues and more towards, you know, like you said, limited government, you know, lower taxes, you know, kind of the, some of the core principles of the conservative movement that seem to, to maybe uh, have been less emphasized as the years have gone on. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of people, because they have maybe come from the evangelical movement or those types of things, or from a deeply religious backgrounds, we te- we have definitely mixed religion and politics together a lot in most in very recent years um, with praying before meetings and those types of things, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in all cases. But I think that there needs to be more of a separation between what your political affiliation is versus your religion, um, because a political affiliation isn't a religion. <laughs> and I think that having that mixed together makes it very hard for people who may be atheists who may be Jewish may not feel as welcome going into these types of environments where there's always a Christian prayer being said right before a meeting and feeling like if you don't bow your head right before uh, or during that prayer that people may isolate you and look at you and then may not want to associate with you and may not even want to work with you politically because of it. And that's kind of a danger when you mix religion and politics together 
where you could be discriminating against that person. And it's one of those things where it might even be better just to not have that prayer beforehand to make somebody else feel uncomfortable or awkward. Um, And that's not even me saying that, you know, you shouldn't have your freedom of speech. Um, It's just for me, since I come from, I'm not an evangelical Christian, I'm an Orthodox Christian, and our prayers are even different. For me, I feel slightly uncomfortable being around evangelical prayer all the time because that's not how I pray. Having that understanding um, of other people and their backgrounds and being conscious of that. That's a great point. You know, when you're talking to somebody from one of these these groups who may have been marginalized or felt excluded from the Republican Party of the past, what argument do you make to them? What's their what's your case for them to be part of the party and be part of the conservative movement? There's a lot of optimism with the upcoming generation of conservatives, people that are more libertarian leaning, that try to look at things from a truer sense of limited government and just trying to have everyone in the party and focusing on fiscal responsibility, focusing on economic growth. We're going to be the largest um, voting demographic in the next year. We're going to be the largest electorate. Great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Longleaf Podcast. We hope you learned something. There's going to be all sorts of activity between now and Election Day, so if you see anything that you'd like us to address here on the podcast or on longleafpolitics.com, send us a note. You can reach me at andrew at longleafpolitics.com. See you again soon. So many in favor of that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The Senate stands adjourned.